Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a podcast brought to you by the Triad Network. This podcast is designed to share trending topics occurring within the world and our communities and bring them a behavioral and mental health perspective. Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a Triad production. I'm your host, Dr. Graham Taylor, and with me today is Dr. Beverly Smith. Beverly is the 45th president of the American Mental Health Counselors Association. She has 26 years of professional counseling experience in various settings, including private practice, public education, corrections, community counseling, and in higher education. She is also the owner and principal therapist of B. Smith Consulting Group, as well as an adjunct professor of clinical mental health counseling at Mercer University. I'm excited to have Beverly with us today as we talk about her work with the American Mental Health Counselors Association. Beverly, welcome to our show. Thank you. I'm glad and excited to be here with you. We're excited to have you. Nice to be here. You know, in getting to know you and the things I've read this week about you and watched this week, you've had an amazing 26-year professional life, and uh, you've been involved with so many organizations and institutions. And you, cl- <laughs> what I love about this is you clearly equipped yourself and been dedicated to equipping yourself for your various responsibilities in each of these organizations, institutions, through pursuing a significant number of degrees and certifications. At, at last count, you've had 10 titles after your name. <laughs> That's pretty noteworthy. <laughs> Where does your passion for mental health and, and just being involved in organizations come from? Thank you again for allowing me to be here and spend this time with you. I have had a, what I consider a phenomenal career and I've had opportunities that have just been some great stellar opportunities. I am passionate about helping people. I'm passionate about people improving their quality of life. So however I can do that in an ethical and legal manner to help people, persons, individuals, communities make advancement in dealing with life issues. All of my services are trauma-informed. My leadership is indeed from a trauma-informed standpoint, because not only do we work with clients and patients to help improve their quality of life and take into consideration trauma, I also lead from that perspective as well, as well as leading from a perspective of uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so that has been part of my platform as the current president and the current interim CEO of the American Mental Health Counselor Association. So over my 26 years, I've enjoyed it. Yes, as you said, I have credentials beside my name. And I have had, again, just an awesome opportunity. If I was was in a different setting of a spiritual and religious setting of people like the board certified professional Christian counselors, I would say, you know, I, I'm grateful to the opportunity and the blessings that have been bestowed upon me. I mean, in the marketplace, you know, I, I'm understanding of where to insert certain wording and so forth. But my faith has been very important in what I do and how I do it. But I've had a great opportunity uh, this year to be the president and the CEO of AMCA and talk about various issues that are important to clinicians as well as to the public. I really like that. You know, as you're stepping up into this leadership position in any leadership position, what personal qualities do you know about yourself that you bring to those positions? You're talking about kind of a trauma-informed that, but but also to complement that, what are some of the personal qualities you bring and what do you aspire to create in the associations as a leader? Mm-hmm. That's, that's an excellent question. Uh, it's a question that you often don't hear, but I'm glad you asked that question because it's something that, you know, I've reflected on as a leader. As I walk into a step into the seat of presidency for Anka, yes. I knew my strengths were 
and bringing people together, coalescing and uniting in a way that is respectful. I do understand the importance of leading by example. I understand how to lead with compassion. And that makes a difference in a normal time, but during a time of a pandemic, such as COVID-19, I think was equally important. I came in as president just to be the president. I, I did step into the role or had agreed upon. I didn't sign on to anything else. But I, I walked into a situation where I had to assume the role as the interim CEO. And what helped was previous experience from leading as president in other organizations, leading as CEO in my own organization. That helped. And those qualities for me would include being compassionate, being able to unite people, being able to respond appropriately under pressure, being able to deal with conflict. My theme as I began my presidency this year was reimagining AMCA because we were still and are still in a pandemic dealing with other issues within our society. I knew it was important for the organization to reimagine itself so that we can be relevant and sustainable. In doing that, that meant we had to begin to take on a new paradigm to to use different lenses to look through to operate. In doing that, guess what? Conflict was inevitable. And my phrase to the board was, conflict happens, it's inevitable, but combat is optional. So as I led, and I always have led from that standpoint, I'm understanding we will have change, but we do not have to choose combat. Now, that had to be more than just my mantra or motto. I had to model that. So when there was conflict, when there were disagreements, I had to still model. What is it like for a leader to still lead during turbulent times? Yeah. What is it like for a leader to lead and, and still lead without showing the emotionalities when it wasn't needed? Because everyone won't respond calmly and appropriately, you know, in board meetings or one-on-one. -on -one. It's just kind of the life of an organization, life of individuals. It's just our life. But utilizing my skill set as a licensed therapist and my personal qualities of just being tenacious and persistent. And understand from a trauma standpoint, you know, everyone comes to an organization or to a situation with their knowledge and experiences, but the context, the total context of who they are, they bring it to. And I have to be mindful of that. I don't know what an individual went through before they came to a meeting. I just as if I don't know what all a patient went through right. during their exactly. work day before they arrived into a session. Right. And so just being knowledgeable that people are still people and people are still navigating through this thing called life in COVID-19. Yeah, I really like that. You know, I believe we all have different skills, abilities, talents, gifts, you know, that we've been given. And our task is to understand what those are mm -hmm. and as best we can to buff those out to their fullest potential, because that's where we get to realize our greatest contributions, where those are given to us to serve. And what I love about what you're talking wow. about here is that you've been very intentional in thinking about what I bring to this position. And it sounds to me like you're the best type of leader in terms of wanting to be a servant. And, and I think in that servant leadership is where we are out in front, we are leading others, we are sometimes having to shepherd a lot of things. And I love the vision of reimagining. And I love the idea too, of kind of reminding even our listeners that change comes about with growing pains and, and conflict. It's a kind of a rubbing that takes place, but it's because we're having to kind of maybe change a paradigm or after having to grow ourselves in ways we haven't had to grow before. And we don't want to do that. And like therapy, we find ways to kind of reach our fullest potential. So I love that leadership style. Let, let's see if we can't carry that into your presidency now and with the association. And what are some of the areas that you folks have a professional focus on and giving attention to? 
Well, two focus. There's an internal focus, if you will, that informs or helps us to have a national focus, if you will. Internally, it was clear for me and I communicated that and, and garnished the support for it. I want to focus on leadership and strategic support. Okay. Internally, how do we build leaders? So I implemented uh, a leadership institute where we provided the opportunities for leaders who want to move up in the state level, national level, but just individuals who are in the profession, who just want to have leadership qualities to just lead better as a person at home, but also within their own organization or workspace. And so leadership and strategic support was the first part of the platform that I had. I love that you did that. You know, sometimes we just think, well, just, you know, you've been in the system for a long period of time. You've been a clinician for a long period of time where you put in your dues, you pay the, so you just naturally must be a leader, right? You, you must naturally know what to do. The answer is no. Yeah. Not necessarily. You might have some good models, but it doesn't always tap into, you know, what are your strengths? What kind of leadership style might you have? It's almost like, you know, our families of origin and our first family, we kind of do what we know. So we replicate it. Mm -hmm. Well, what says, you know, that you're, you're, you're reaching your best or you're maybe you're reaching and understanding what your leadership style could actually be, which is really what you did at the very beginning when you came in this position and other positions of what do I bring to this that I can really enhance this mm -hmm. position that I'm in? So I love it that you teach people or offer an opportunity and support for that leadership development and that whole strategic thinking. What a great place to, to have an organization function from to benefit its members if they want to kind of move up and be effective leaders. That's awesome. Well, that was a great opportunity and it's still available, still ongoing, but it, again, it allowed leaders to do reflection um, yeah. within themselves as they move forward, because that's important. One of the greatest things that I had mentors to help me with, and one of the things I practice is reflection, yes. reflecting over myself. And I may do it sometimes a little bit more than I should, but you know, I reflect because it's important as a leader. It's important Ed, to reflect on what I said, what I did, but also reflect on the day, reflect on where we're going and how we're still going to get there, kind of doing that assessment piece, if you will. And, and, and that's extremely important to do that uh, because sometimes the day gets going, the weeks roll and you look up and you're like, okay, what did we do? What did we accomplish? Right. And how do we get there? Because you still have to be able and be accountable to helping other emerging professionals and those who've been in it for a while. How did I survive? How did you survive? And how do we teach other people how to survive? Because leadership is lonely at the top. You know, I've always heard it and, and I understood it, but I, I have a, a a different perspective now, if you right will. At the top, that's right. Yeah, it's, it's lonely at the top, but you're still accountable for doing what's best for uh, the profession. And that, you know, I've done. Maybe all decisions have not always been agreeable. No decisions are always agreeable with senior leadership. Um, that's just the life of, of life yep. and of organizations. But the goal is to how do we move the organization forward? What are the benefits? I, I am pleased, though, with some of the decisions that were made, that we have a strong financial portfolio. You know, when I assumed the role of interim ED CEO, the quietest kept part of it is I haven't received a dime for it. I haven't received a penny for it. Uh, and so, you know, there's a stipend for being president. Every organization, you know, receives that stipend honorarium. But for the role of CEO, I have not. So that's my give back to the profession. Now, would I do that again? That's questionable. <laughs> From what I've learned, I'm not sure I'd do that again. I like that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> exactly. Well, as you're talking about, the different things you guys are focusing on or organization. One's the leadership development and the strategic mm -hmm. support. You also yeah. talked about a focus with the multiculturalism and social justice. Take us down that path. 
Yes, the second uh, approach or the second focus was multicultural and social justice advocacy. Yes. It was important for us to communicate to the members, but also then to communicate to the larger community, the larger public, if you will, that as licensed clinical mental health counselors, licensed therapists, we help and advocate for our clients, for our patients, so that they have that experiences of equity within the communities. And so we do take uh, public stands when we need to against things that are not just in our society, yes. in our community. And we do that because when you have social justice or social injustices, it impacts an individual or community's mental health. Yes. And so we have an investment in that because we still want to improve the quality of life for people. In order to do that, there are times that we have to, to take a voice. And it is part of our ethical responsibility. So we're not inserting ourselves in places that we should not. So we've had webinars, we've had training and educational opportunities to help clients be equipped with tools when to recognize micro, macro aggressions, to understand when racism and, and injustices are present. And then how do you then in turn collaborate or have accountability group to help you navigate those spaces to in turn help your clients to navigate those spaces so we all can improve our quality of life. We'll be right back after word from our sponsor. Nearly nine in 10 registered voters believe the nation faces a mental health crisis, according to a new USA Today Suffolk University poll. Americans are more concerned than ever about their mental health. Mental Health First Aid provides the resources and training to identify, understand, and respond to signs of mental health and substance use challenges. It provides the confidence and skills needed to offer life-saving assistance, and it provides peace of mind. Our experts provide mental health first aid training for adults, teens, caregivers, veterans, law enforcement, EMS, and school faculty. Mental health concerns are on the rise, but evidence-based training through Mental Health First Aid can make a difference. Visit mentalhealthfirstaid.org to find a course near you or email hello at mentalhealthfirstaid.org to schedule a training. Courses are available for individuals, groups, organizations, and companies of all sizes. Visit mentalhealthfirstaid.org and make a difference in your community. You know, we oftentimes think, well, why, why do you have to have an organization or, or an association or something? Well, it, there's some really important components to it. One, it provides a standard of care for -hmm. those that are practitioners. So it safeguards us and also protects us professionally from just anybody willy nilly coming in and saying, well, this is what I do. There's Mm -hmm. certain standards of care, aren't there? But there's also the protection of those coming to seek the services that they believe they're coming to receive. So it protects them that way too. But the advocacy piece that you're talking about here is another piece that an organization really has to have some kind of authority behind, some power behind, and some influence. So I love that piece that organizations can also focus on other areas. Mm-hmm. I know you guys also do some great stuff for your membership of folks. And what are some of the membership services you have in place as well? As I said, we have the webinars available to educate, and they can also receive continuing education uh, credits so that they continue to be certified licensed in, in their spaces. We also have various partnerships with, with other organizations to help our members, again, get the continuing education that they need, but just maintain a relevancy and be updated on the current trends within our profession. So we do provide those opportunities. We also provide opportunities for them to get involved in the needed campaign and the advocacy part of it. 
We are part of a coalition that does advocate for Medicare for licensed professional counselors, as well as licensed marriage and family therapists. And so part of that coalition advocacy that we do for our members, and we engage them and ask them to get involved in the grassroots campaign so that we can help educate other clinicians, the public, politicians, congressmen yes. on the importance and the reason why licensed mental health counselors should be authorized providers for Medicare. And that system has not changed well since 1989. Yeah. And LPCs, licensed mental health counselors, we are a very large piece of that behavioral health care workforce, but yet we have not been getting authorization. That's and right. to give us authorization means we can lighten that workload over there but also we will allow uh, beneficiaries of Medicare to be able to access service because yeah. we can help in dealing with the opioid crisis. Let's park on this just for a little bit here, because I think this is very, very significant for people to understand. And again, what I love about organizations, they get to have kind of this healthy power to come in and advocate in these ways. We're talking about Medicare beneficiaries having seen a significant increase you know, in anxiety, depression, PTSD, substance use, not only, you know, in a long time, but particularly during COVID. And we know that over 25% of the Americans over 65, so our, our elderly, have some form of depressive disorder, anxiety disorder. And that's from the Census Bureau and the CDC. That's not just numbers made up. These are some, you know, legit folks naming and, and, and measuring these things. But there's a shortage, like you said, of mental health and substance abuse providers in the Medicare system. So as you talk about uh, marriage and family therapists, licensed mental health counselors. We got about 200,000 folks that are licensed in these two professions available, but not being approved Medicare providers, people can't access their services. So this is part of your Mental Health Access Improvement Act, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah, I, I love that. And this, and, and this is going to be able to expand the availability of cost-effective providers under this Medicare to treat these seniors and to address some of the mental health crisis and opioid epidemic, which mm -hmm. I think is a great advocacy focus. So nicely done on that. I know you guys are also doing endorsing a counseling compact, sending a letter to the National Center for Counseling Compacts. Talk about that endorsement just real quick. I'm excited to talk about Medicare, but also the counseling compact. When I came on as president this year, I commissioned within a special committee to focus on the counseling compact and to help elevate it. And we are doing just that. I know other organizations are as well, but we're doing it and we're doing it in a great way that I'm honestly proud of. So with the counseling compact, the goal is for at least 10 states to sign on and enact the counseling compact. And when they do, it will allow individuals to practice in various states that are part of that compact without having to go through the long process of application. And it could ask for information that you maybe didn't have from 20 years ago when you were licensed, but it's asking you to do the things that you've already demonstrated competency in and success in, if you will. And so being a part of the counseling compact, for example, if I'm in Georgia, if I'm in Utah, if I'm in Virginia, West Virginia, Maryland, it will allow me to practice across those state lines within the regulations and guidelines. Now, it doesn't mean that every state has to join. It is up to each state to join on their own. But what we try to do as, as an organization, ANCA, is provide opportunities and platforms for state leaders, members, politicians, whomever, to come to a common space and ask your questions and also allow us to maybe provide more information on the benefits of the counseling compact. So we are a strong advocate for the counseling compact. 
we're talking about greater individual and family access to mental mm-hmm. health services. You're talking about maintaining high standards of public health mm-hmm. safety. Yeah. You're talking about continuity of care for patients. What are some other things that you're trying to communicate to the states, organizations that say, hey, this is good, join us? Well, what we're trying to communicate that it is good, it allows the profession to work collaboratively together and going in one direction on the same page. And so, yes, we communicate the benefits of it allows clients access to a diverse population of already qualified and already licensed, you know, individuals in the profession. It's just a great opportunity for the profession to come together and to meet the needs of the people we're here to serve. We're in a middle of a mental health crisis. I do not feel in my personal professional opinion that is going away. So we now have to prepare for a year from now, three years from now, five years from now, 10 years from now. The effects of COVID-19 is going to be with us for a while. That's why they call it the long haulers effect. And oftentimes, everyone wants to talk about the physical aspect of COVID-19, rightfully so. But there is a mental health component that is here, and we have a tendency to want to make that topic taboo. And we're saying, even with the counseling compact, the issue does not have to be taboo. Seeking service does not have to be a complicated process. Yeah. Boy, that's really good. You know, I, I remember looking at the uh, Board of Labor and looking at job growth and mental health. Mm-hmm. This was about mm, maybe seven, six, seven years ago. And at that time, the job projected growth was about 21%. I can guarantee you that's up in the 30s right now. I, I haven't looked lately, late, but this, this is just going to expand. Mm-hmm. COVID, the opioid crisis, substance abuse, all of these things. And I think we're getting a better and better presence in, you know, in our nation about seeing that there are some real needs in terms of mental health that we have a response for. So I think that's terrific that you're kind of advocating in that way. I'm also curious, you know, for those that are mental health counselors from your organization, what services are you providing, Beverly, through your organization for your members? In addition to the ones we talked about before about some of the leadership training, I know you guys do professional development and education, et cetera. Give us a few of those things. Well, one of the things that I'm excited that we also provide for our members is if we have a member that will send in or log in or click on a link or say, hey, I need consultation, ethical consultation. We provide legal, legitimate, ethical consultation with our members. And that is major uh, because if you ever have a question or ever in doubt, and as an organization, we're saying we're here to help you facilitate through that. So we have an ethics committee that is uh, available. And on that committee, we have legal representation, you know, who have the counseling background to help sort through and help individuals navigate. So that is uh, an extreme plus for our members as they serve in the communities that they're in. We have opportunities for members, again, as I mentioned before, to get involved with the organization, get involved in their state or grassroots efforts as it pertains to Medicare, as it pertains to the counseling compact. So those are services that we provide. Upcoming in the near future, we'll see some more advertisement on our first ever trauma neuroscience symposium. And that helps us then to take a look at the trauma and the informed care from a neuroscience standpoint. And that is something that we're, we're offering to our members, as well as anyone who's you know, in the profession at large. So we're providing you know, a number of services to our members. And, and sometimes you know, some members like certain topics or they like certain issues more. They take uh, advantage of certain 
uh, benefits more than they do others. We also partner up again, like I said, with a host of organizations to help individuals just advance in, in their career, in their profession. Really good. This is really well-rounded. I know you guys do, you know, career guidance, job boards, yes, <laughs> outreach, all these things. I mean, there's just, the list is pretty significant. I think, and it's so worthwhile for organizations to provide their members with these things. You know, when you think about being part of this association and all that you're kind of reaching into, what's some of the impact and the benefit that you're witnessing your association having nationally? One of the, the benefits that, that I, I am seeing is that we are connecting with the state chapters more. And so that's been a great benefit. We're also connecting with national organizations. I sit on the board of AASCB with other national leaders in the counseling profession, such as ACA, KCREP, NBCC, and those kinds of organizations. It allows us to collaborate and work together for the benefit of members. Because you may have some members who are a member of UNCA who are also a member of other organizations as well. So it's important for us to work together and, and, and provide information in a timely way. So I have noticed the ability to work with other organizations, work with our state chapters has been an improvement. So that has been extremely helpful. I have an opportunity to have leaders to reach out to me, to invite me to states. And so bridging that gap with the states and those who are at the grassroots level, who are working with their state legislators to advance the counseling compact and other issues. That has been an improved collaboration, improved communication. So I have found that to, to be very helpful as well. You know, the very first thing you said today was you came in with the heart of advancement. And that's what you're talking about right now, looking to advance, you know, your services, your ability to, to come into people's lives, to be of help, to serve. And that, that advancement's really been a theme throughout, it sounds like what you're doing in your presidency. You know, at the end of your presidency, Mm -hmm. When you look back on it, how will you measure your success? Well, that's a good question. You know, I'll measure it in, in, in several ways. I'll measure it for my internal standard, which combines with my professional standard. I'll look at the markers. I'll look at the markers of, did we do, did I do all that I said I would do? And, and if I didn't hit all the markers, I'm okay with that as long as we made some progress. Stabilizing the financial portfolio, not having the expenditure for a CEO position is huge. And so that for me is a measure of success because we brought in the revenue, may not be new sources of revenue, but we did not send those funds back out the door, right? So we stabilize our financial portfolio. That is a huge success. We've increased membership. That is a huge success. We are now beginning to look at the organization through new lenses. We are beginning to reimagine the organization to be sustainable. How do we be relevant? How do we now speak the language and present the part so that emerging professionals will be engaged as well as those who've been in the profession for a while? How do we make that connection? And, and that has been important. What you will see upcoming is a broadcast that, that I'll be launching and just trying to do those things that will attract the emerging professionals and engage other professionals. So increasing membership is important. And one of the things that we were doing, which was major for me, was to revisit our strategic plan. Uh, uh, that was huge because in reimagining organization, you have to revisit strategic plan. You have to say, okay, what were we doing before that we need to do differently? One of the things that you know I tackle, which is probably several, and, and if you talk to board members, they'll tell you she has some really high goals. Yes, I did. No doubt. 
I, I believe it reaches from the stores, you know? And so whereas in the past, yeah. someone they may have said, we're going to make a 1% increase or a 3% increase. And I'm like, that's not acceptable for me. We're going to make a 100% increase, you know? Because truly, truly, if you shoot for the sky and the stars, you shoot for the sky, you will land among the stars. Or you will land Whatever. somewhere higher than where you were. And that's the purpose. Is Whatever, to go bar you, Whatever bar you set, you'll hit. Yeah. Set and power. so that, that, that was the goal. And so I had to say, well, how do we do this? How do we have a hundred percent increase? You know, well, we got to cut back. We got to freeze hiring. We can't, we can't hire an ED. That was a hard decision that maybe not was a favorable decision, but it was a necessary one. And, and so that's something that I think for me, Again, if I was looking at someone else, I would say that was very admirable to do it. And so what I've learned too, as I move forward is to always say, Beverly, you did good in this area. You hit the mark, you surpassed it. Or you know what, revisit that again, try again. But being honest with myself, but also and recognizing successes. So the increase in membership, revisiting strategic plan, those are things that I will just be extremely happy about a legacy that I'll use, that I'll leave. And also, one of the things that we'll be including it and voting on to include, and I'm sure to pass in our bylaws, is that I will have instituted a membership committee that will be a standing committee along with the Multicultural and Social Justice Standing Committee and along with the Council of Committees, which is a, a committee that I instituted in which all committee chairs sit on this council and they're able to work across the apartments, if you will, and work collaboratively. Because that's the group of people that are actually with the grassroots. They're actually with the people keeping the organization going and bringing in more people. So they need a voice and they need to know they're heard. So I created that committee. And so and those are things that are part of my legacy that I'm just happy about and ecstatic about. But I did it with the work of so many great people who supported my leadership who were there advocating for me, who were there calling me on the phone. Hey, you're going in the right direction. It's okay. Right. Well, no, it's hard. But keep moving. You know, I had a past president who said to me, which was so touching, I forever remember his words, when he said to me, you know what? I'm going to need it. You specifically during this time. And it's helpful when you have cheerleaders on the side cheering you on, because as I stated earlier, it's very lonely at the top. Mm-hmm. It's very lonely. And so when I move forward, one of my legacies will be making sure I reach back because people have, have helped and supported me. Now I've had some non-supporters, right? <laughs> I'm not going to make this look unreal. <laughs> Got to have those too. Those yeah. are out there. There's mm-hmm. people that are bent, but yeah, it's not like you've just had a wonderful, wonderful career and been so intentional again in advancing these things. I I'm very impressed. And you got a great enthusiasm about yourself that's got to help push these things forward and kind of get people on the same page with you. You know, we're kind of beginning to wind down today, but what what message would you want to give somebody listening in today? Maybe somebody maybe who want, might want to come into this field or maybe be, consider becoming, you know, a mental health counselor member with your association. Leave okay. us a message. Well, the message I would be would be twofold. The message I would give to professions, if you want to get involved, first of all, my uncle, simply go to our website, www.amhca.org, and you can join the become a member. You can reach out to me at president at amhca, again, .org, or my email address personally, and I'll share that because I, I always want to be accessible to people, and I always want to be available. Um, that is bevsmithphd at gmail.com. And then my business is drbsmith at bscg.co. And I share that because it's helpful to have people 
cheerleading and being there for you as a mentor, just helping yes. you in all circles and in all endeavors. So I would say to individuals, if you have a desire to be a member, join. If you have a desire to be a leader, go for it. Plan strategically, but also surround yourself with people who can help you plan and help advance the agenda of the profession, as well as help individual experience personal success. Um, I would say to individuals, know who you are, be confident in who you are. And everyone won't like you. They won't always agree with you, but command respect. You know, some people would say, I had to call you Dr. Smith, you know, I determined what I answered to, but I have worked hard for the title of, of Dr. Beverly Smith. I earned a PhD. And so there are rings where I'm just hands down Dr. Smith. And I have no regrets about that. And I encourage others, you know what, if you have, if you disagree with it, you go to therapy and lay on the couch and figure out why. red wagon to pull today, you know? But for everyone to strive for your goals and your dreams, if you're in organizations, help to advance the organization, support leadership. And if you feel like it, it, it is not going the direction you want to go, go in, it's always okay to make adjustments and, and, and serve in other places. But where you are gifted at and where you have a gift to give, then serve and work in your gifted area. I've really been in, in a good space to serve in a place that I am gifted in. I remember my, my mother and my father reminding me what I said when I was at Tuskegee University working on my master's. And I said to them, hey, I found my passion and my mission in life. You know, and when times get hard, my mother and my father, even at my age, reminded me, it's okay, you can survive. You're, you're serving in your gifted area. You remember when you told us back in? That's right. 19... 90 something, right? <laughs> you said you were in your, your area of gifting, your passion, you found out your niche in life. And I truly have. Do I get tired sometimes of understanding and safeguard myself from compassion, fatigue, and, and burnout? Absolutely, because I'm still a human being. You know, I'm not some superhero, but I'm a person who cares. And so I would say to everyone, what you care and have a passion to do, then do that without any regrets, without any excuses and get licensed, get certified, get the extra training in the areas that you want to serve in. Now, some people, you were very nice and say, oh, she has some credentials to give me accolades. There's some people would say to me, there's no need in having all those credentials. And I would say to them, you make decisions for your life and your profession career, and I'll make the ones for mine. Don't tell me I'm superseding. Maybe you're just coming up short. That's I don't mean that in a hard way. But you just have to look at the lenses and look at the glass full or half full. It's, it's up to the individual. And, and so to organizations, I would say, you know, we're in a time of COVID-19. Some say post-COVID-19, but nevertheless, look at your organization. Look at the, the strengths. Look at the weaknesses and truly address them. Truly address them. Does it happen overnight? Absolutely not. There are so many things that I put into place this year with my board of directors and other professionals that may not manifest itself this year while I'm president. I'm clear about most of it. It's not going to manifest until next year. Yes. You know? I'm but okay. But you're, putting some, but, you're, but you're putting some seeds down. Yeah, that, that are going to germinate and they're going to at some point come in at the right time. That's so good. What a great message. Well, Beverly, we are winding down for today, but it has been so great to have you with us today. Great to meet you. Great to have you on the show. Thanks for all your sharing, not just you know about the organization, but from a very personal level too, about how to strive to be one's very, very best. And in doing so, how that can benefit others. I believe that we are given talents and gifts and abilities and opportunities. And our task is to recognize those 
and to bring those to their fullest potential so that we can bless others with them, so that we can experience true fulfillment and glorify the one that gives us those. That's it. That is it. You give it in a nutshell yourself. <laughs> yeah. That was great and well said. And that has been part of who I am and how I lead. Yeah, I can tell. It's been great to have you with us. Thank you so much for being our guest today. Thanks so much. I also want to thank you, our listeners, for joining Beverly and me today. It's uh, always great to have you with us. Regarding our episode today, I want to remind you that it and its resources and all of our other podcasts and episodes can be found on our webpage at triadhq.com slash BHT. So check out our webpage, triadhq.com slash BHT, and explore our archive of podcasts and resource materials. Thanks again for being with us on the show, and we'll look forward to having you back with us next time on Behavior Health Today. We appreciate all the support from our community, and if you like our show, one of the best ways you can support it is by giving us a five-star rating and leaving a review. Behavioral Health Today is a podcast part of the Tribe Network, all rights reserved.